0: I'm Jim Wills, and this is the Art Unknown Podcast, where we feed your soul with art. Focus on what inspires you and lights you up inside, and that's what's going to light other people up, too when i've experienced films that are transformative i feel like it makes me able to understand the world better so if you're an artist you think that you have got
1: something in you close the door work make art more than you're thinking about art and the rest will figure itself out art is how we respond to our environment it's a way to process external events I've seen this
0: all right this week on the podcast i'm very excited to talk to this gentleman who is a visual artist he's a brother of sorts we're both veterans from the military he is originally from rochester new york he now calls newburn north carolina his home he spent five years traveling in the military uh doing NBC security around the world and he got out in 2015 doing what most people in the military do, look for something associated with the military for a couple years and found that it wasn't satisfying him and it wasn't really speaking to his soul. And so he became an artist, 2018. He's now been full-time for two plus years. He's self-taught and he sold, check this out, folks. He sold over 400 paintings, original paintings, original works since he started as an artist. So I'm really excited to talk to him. His name is Jesse Doyle. Jesse, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me means a lot. And I appreciate you guys kind of searching me out on Instagram and, and, you know, giving me a message. Your, uh, your message definitely stood out. You get a lot of spam nowadays on Instagram. So it was, uh, it was refreshing to meet a a real person on the other
0: end of that, you know, (laughs) you're totally, you're absolutely right, man. Especially as an artist, I've noticed the same thing is you put a post and if you, especially if you put up hashtags for the post, there's so many, people that follow those hashtags that are spam or they want you to, you know, they're trying to sell you their advertising scheme or whatever it is. And so, yeah, IG is a great way to find artists. And, you know, we were looking around, we found you and I'm very excited to talk to you. So let's get into it. The first thing I always do is ask for an inspiration of all the artists I talk to. And I get many, many different answers across the whole gamut. There's some that are very similar. Uh, So I'm very interested to hear as an ex-military, what you find inspiring, what you carry with you throughout the day that gets you out of bed in the morning that inspires you in your artwork and in your life? Yes, so my main
1: answer to that would be the present moment. So through my work and through these trials and errors as an artist and all these different mediums and methods, I've noticed it doesn't matter necessarily what that final result is, that that area will naturally refine as trial and error takes place. But the, the, the process and returning that attention to the present moment is the art for the artist. You know, it, it's a painting for the collector. It's, it's, that's the art for the artist, it's that present moment. So any time of the day, morning, noon, night, happy, sad, any of those can be my inspiration for that moment, for that painting. So there, these abstract um, expressionist works are, imprints of that current moment. And in that process, it allows me to stay in a therapeutic like flow state or mindset to help combat these um, stressors and anxieties and depressions I've gone through since getting out of the military. It's it's really given me a, a uh, 110% something to give my all to. So it means a lot when anybody buys a painting, small to large, that is usually the the secondary details on a painting. You know when they sell awesome. However, it's that communication and that relationship, and it's the icebreaker to open up room for
0: many more conversations. I, I love that uh, the present is your inspiration, and whatever that is, it's in the present moment. I love that you said that. I think that's a really, if I can say it's a it's a really evolved answer. I don't know if that's really the right word, but it's a it's a very thought provoking answer. It's very deep answer, especially coming from someone who is a, an ex Marine or ex military, having that presence of mind. And, and we talked about before we started recording, you mentioned the word Zen. And so I, I'm really excited to get into that more about that idea of being present and being when you're creating art and what the experiences are. Because when we first talked, um, when I first reached out to you, we first talked and said that you're military or ex military. And I thought, Oh yeah. There's all kinds of stories of people who are ex-military who find art as a way of dealing with the trauma that they've experienced as military because I mean, I'm sure anybody who is listening to this who's a veteran can agree like military is traumatic even if even if you had the, the easiest duty in the world or even if you only stayed stateside and never saw combat or never went across the seas, boot camp itself is traumatic, you know what I mean like so there is trauma associated I think with every veteran. And I hear those stories a lot of artists, whether it's visual art or music or acting or anything that, that an art form, it really helps to f- for for vets to find some balance and deal with the demons that they've experienced. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But before we do, I would love to get your story. So take me back and and um, we don't have to start at the crib, but, <laughs> but take me back and share your story, if you will, about. Maybe your life before art and then how you became an artist and, and came up and bring it up to today.
1: Yeah, definitely. So grew up in a small town east of Rochester called Palmyra, New York. Uh, very small town, not much going on. There's about twenty five hundred people in the, in the uh, area there. So it, it was a pretty modest growing up. I played a lot of sports. It was very active. Um, so I, I had always had energy. I was never lethargic or, or lazy. Maybe I didn't want to help my dad. I would, you know, um, but you know, I, had, I had energy. <laughs> so moving forward to that, I was always in sports. I liked um, science, biology, physiology, uh, kinesiology, all the all of these sciences around the human body and how it works, you know, because that tied into the sports. So I got out of high school 2009 went to college for about a year wasn't hitting the spot just homework 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 wasn't learning or absorbing you know Um, so yeah I joined the Marine Corps kind of on a whim in 2010 I was bored was my reason Um, (laughs) but I was like oh wait that is an option I'm 18 now so I ended up joining the Marine Corps And my first um, duty station, Camp Pendleton, I was just driving trucks, working with an artillery unit. And then following that, for the next three years, I was in embassy security. I put in for this package. They accepted it. So I went to the school and did all that. My first station was Monrovia, Liberia, West Africa. Um, There's some pretty cool stories there. I've, I've met a warlord. Uh, Not that I'm proud of that, but he's, quote unquote, saved again. So it's an interesting experience on the human level. And then following that, though, from Africa, I go directly to China and I live in Beijing for almost a year and a half. And from there back to I go to the Caribbean, so not too far off the coast of Florida, but I was in Jamaica for a year and then separated out. So well, Jamaica's not bad duty. If you can get it no yeah. downtown <laughs> Kingston is a, is a different story but it they all have their pros and cons you know
0: sure of course of course so tell me you got out of the military and but you didn't go right into art you got out in 2015 you said tell me about what turned you on to art yeah so
1: when I got out I found a uh, pretty good gig in Las Vegas Nevada um, so me and my girlfriend Heather, we moved to Nevada. I worked security in a cannabis cultivation and dispensary. So a year in each uh, location. It was for a company called The Source. They're a pretty well-known uh, dispensary in Las Vegas, and they were, they were great. You know, it, it showed me the the idea of that Apple Store cleanliness and professionalism, but with a, a high grade medicine or recreational product. And you said you're from
0: Denver. So you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know the source for sure. And it's funny because a lot of, you know, I've been to dispensaries around Colorado, around the Denver, and a lot of the security guys are, I would agree, are ex-military. For whatever reason, they're. Yeah, I guess they're drawn to that, you know, especially if they carried a gun in the military. If they carry a gun, they know how to provide security. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that was my
1: kind of initial inspiration following the Marine Corps. I found this gig. I thought it was gonna be all gravy, good to go. Um, But after two years of what I thought would be a dream job, I was, yes, I loved that. It was a great industry providing value and security for others. But I personally was still struggling with what do I want to do? What do I wanna provide the world? Or what mark do I wanna leave physically when I depart? So at this point I had been a year or so into meditation and breathing exercises and that, you know, coupled with the cannabis was really opening my mind, really getting me to recollect past memories and past hobbies and things as a child, what I enjoyed doing. And, uh, from there, this little bug in me kept growing and, uh, I knew I was always creative. I didn't know what means that would come out as. I was into cars for a while, like was renovating, fixing up cars, but that was so materialistic in a way. There wasn't anything below the surface type of you know hobby. So I was in meditation one day, kind of at my my the end of my leash. I was in a dark spot, pretty depressed <clears throat> and just at a standstill. So I asked myself. If I was locked in a big empty room by myself for the rest of eternity, and I could do only one thing, what would it be? So I, I respond to myself, oh, I'd probably draw on the walls, like just a comical response. And a light bulb went off, though. And I remember as a kid, I had drawn on my my bedroom walls, like this huge mural as a kid, <laughs> like six foot tall. It was it was awesome, but it was just pen, you know, nothing special. But so I got a pen and pencil, um, got some materials from the store and just started doodling. And that doodle was the beginning of this whole thing. So just out in Nevada and doodling for a few days and the work kept getting bigger and bigger and more intricate. And now I was applying this zenful or mindfulness like response to the art too so that was the therapy in itself that was the uh that was the the activity that would give me the clarity and it's just been a crazy snowball since my paintings have gotten much larger and i utilize a scrape technique with a paint scraper i load it up with color and I just base that on my emotions and I start to get into this intuitive flow state and the paintings kind of do themselves,
0: it feels. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I've experienced that and I hear that a lot from artists when they get that, that flow state. And then the next thing you know, they created this thing that they have no idea how they created. I, I want to sidestep a little bit. You, you mentioned meditation, Zen, you meant that sort of thing. How did you find that after the military? Because that also can be a really therapeutic source for for vets. So how did you come across that?
1: Yeah, it absolutely can. I was actually first introduced to it, not necessarily the Zen aspects or the philosophical practice, but the breathing exercise is what came first. Um, In the VA, in in Canandaigua, New York, the VA recommended this, um, what's called box breathing. And you just breathe in for four seconds, hold for four seconds, exhale for four seconds, hold for four seconds, and you do that. So box breathing. And I'll tell you what, that was my, my first moment after that. I did the box breathing for maybe 15 minutes, just subconsciously in my head, just doing it, going. And I had a breakthrough. I think I had some tears come from my eyes. I finally felt this relief of pressure. Um, oh, wow. So that's where when this weight was lifted, and this was still in New York before I had moved to Nevada and discovered the arts or anything like that. So I was always there was always this little bit of struggle inside this weight that I was carrying that I didn't necessarily know what to do with. Um, So the breathing exercises are what allowed me to almost in more of a pure way before I started labeling Zen and Buddhism and, and, you know, breath work and all of these words, they all mean different things, but I was probably more original to myself in that moment before I had all the other noise and, and words to go with it. You know, looking back now, I see that that's why I had such a powerful experience when I first started. But conscious breathing led to the discovery of these Eastern practices, these Chinese and these Japanese methods. And You know, these monks that are achieving insane levels of consciousness through their own body and releasing their own um, dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, DMT. Uh, I mean, it's all in us. We just have to really practice and, and focus on that. So through my art, I take a big breath. I've loaded up my paint scraper, I'll put it on the canvas or the wood, whichever, and I'll take a big exhale, almost like how they do in a meditation session with the arm. It's almost that big arm or that exhale that
0: Mm
1: -hmm. as as I'm exhaling, I'm pulling the scraper very smoothly and gently down the canvas. So that's my therapy in creating the artwork. From there, the viewer can make their own response to that because it is abstract. So.
0: So you actually use a meditative process in your painting when you paint?
1: Yes. That's how I kind of, the hardest part is knowing when they're done. But if I just keep it simple, back to my basics, focus on that, that inner feeling in the gut, it'll they'll tell me when they're done. But it yeah, is yeah. this constant building process where a year might go by. I'll go through my inventory, pull two or three canvases that are stale to my my, my, my viewing and, and I'll go over them. So some of these canvases have three, four paintings beneath them too. Um, so it shows that it's not when you're buying a painting now it's dead. Like that's when it dies in a way that's that's when it's in the world. Well, it it dies in my, in my eyes, but it begins a new life in this other fashion.
0: Right.
1: And to me, in terms of the artistic therapeutic process, it's like you put a timestamp on it. That one's officially not going to be touched again because okay, there yeah. is like people get nervous. They'll come to check in on my inventory.
0: I'm like, sorry, painted over that.
1: Painted over that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think that's cool that you're that you don't mind painting over that. It's, a lot of artists are like, no, I can't. Even if I hate this piece, I'm not going to paint over it. And I'm like, I'm so not that yeah. way. I'm like, yeah, of course, paint over it. Like, make it new again. Who cares? It's. Uh, I also want to mention about meditation. I talked my previous interview was with a musician and she's also a yogi and so if you haven't discovered it yet wait till you get into yoga man like that's that's like taking it to a whole nother level there's a, a quote that I carry with me and I think I talked about it in the last episode of so I'm going to throw it out there again uh, Dr. Wayne Dyer has said the two most beneficial things he ever found in his life were meditation and yoga and recommends everybody to do it and I carry that with me uh I'm a regular yoga practicer and a regular meditator and, and it's it changes your life in ways that it's very difficult to even describe, I think, to people. Um, but meditation definitely brings you back to, to the core of who you are as a spiritual being and as a creator, uh, in this case, as an artist. So, so let's move on. Uh, so you started painting, uh, you started drawing, and then you took it on to painting. Talk to me about becoming full-time. So I think, I think I congratulate you on your success, that you've had this wonderful success in just a short amount of time. A lot of artists really struggle of how do I transition from this is a hobby to, hey, I'm selling a few pieces here and there to I'm a full time artist and I can live on my art. You've obviously done that and you've been successful at it. So can you share that or would you share that with with the audience? Yeah,
1: definitely. It was it was an interesting um, kind of reversal. So I was painting just for this therapy, this hobby. After a few months, I looked in the corner and I had about a hundred paintings just stacked up. <laughs> I was buying like 10 <laughs> packs of canvas and just going to town, buy 10 more, go to town. Um, oh, wow. so it, That's awesome. But I was just trying to clear out some room in my little spare bedroom studio that I had kind of arranged and I started posting them up and within that first month, I think I sold 20 or so and it just started, they started flying. Right. Oh, kind I of a question.
0: Right, yeah. <laughs> so so two questions actually how big were those canvases that you were working with originally?
1: Uh, originally anywhere from like 16 by 20s to like a 24 by 36 so still okay. pretty
0: large That's, they were never 8 by 10s or real small stuff right okay and then my second question so, so started out somewhat sizable canvases and then my next question is how did you determine what to sell them for? Um, so I was
1: I I had some problems with that initially because you kind of have imposter syndrome. You have this, uh, this isn't real feeling, you know, people start offering and you, you know, so you have to really figure it out. But luckily I had some business mind and um, had a few startups and clothing company and these little things that um, I did when I was younger. And so I was able to keep some sort of business balance to it. So I just took a, a price per square inch approach okay and because uh, the times would vary the styles would vary so price per square inch allowed me to just um, start separating them by you know value and that means but I was willing to barter if someone wanted a couple paintings I was always giving really good deals and prices and hooking people up but from there it was uh, it was just a matter of my um, natural progression I think getting into the way I was creating, was translating to the way I was also selling. I wasn't pressuring. I was just producing, 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 and people were just picking like little, you know, just, they were just cherry picking along the way as they saw what spoke to them and the styles that would vary between, because I have worked in a handful of different styles and approaches because sure. um, nothing, this is all kind of a living being, you know, Picasso had 10 different styles he practiced and. I'm no Picasso, but I understand that aspect of being multidimensional and being able to do a mural today and then a you know a spray paint mural today and then an oil painting tomorrow. That's my balance. I want to be able to obtain that present moment and that feeling that I'm feeling. If I'm feeling joyful, I want to be able to do a badass floral painting with some bright colors and sure, you sure. Know. So it does adjust in that way too. It's not all abstract. I do work in slight surrealist type form too which is fun to play with but that's all that's all expression but now i'm selling paintings that are four foot by five foot for upwards usually about a thousand dollar mark is the price point for those so okay i've been able to kind of naturally ride the the uh, escalator up and as my supply and demand gets pressured i then adjust accordingly if i'm selling out of really nice paintings that are that I'm in love with, I know that the price naturally adjusts, and then so it's always that balancing act. Sometimes it'll drop a little if it's been a slow couple months, and then it'll move up a little if it's been a busy few months. So it's uh, it's tough because a lot of people do struggle with the pricing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's and that's why I ask those those original paintings. You said you kind of did a price per square inch model. What was your what was your price point, if I can ask? Uh, on those early paintings yeah so something like a 16
1: by 20 inch i don't have my calculator just multiply those (laughs) it'll if you do 20 by 16 you'll get the the is it 300 something 320 yep 320 all right see i did that without even yeah so 320 so that's how many square inches are in that in that canvas i think i started 25 or 30 cents a square inch. Okay. So that, that would have been like $75 for a 16 by 20. And now moving forward, a 16 by 20 now normally will go for 175 to 200. Okay. And that's within a two-year time frame. So my collectors that are getting in are seeing these valuation increases. And I'm only two years in, I'm 30 years old. I'm going to do this till the day I die. Sure, so what's sure. the next 50 60 years you know yeah, um, yeah so I really tell people get in get in now if you like my work it's not it's not expensive we can get expensive as the paintings get larger and more intricate but we can keep them minimalist full, small you know I, I like to adjust to those collectors but within my own ability so it's fun you know I'm always surprised
0: sure, sure. absolutely it I, I'm glad you shared that. And I'm glad you feel comfortable enough to share that because that is a, the, the pricing method is a struggle. I think a lot of artists have, especially young artists. And uh, just to clarify, in increasing your prices, that was simply based on your supply and demand. As you saw, more people were interested in you're like, let me let me bump it up and see if I could sell this piece instead of selling it for 80 bucks. Let me see if I can sell it for 150 bucks. Is that basically yeah. what you're what you're doing?
1: Yeah. Cause I was at early on, I would do, like I said, five or 10 canvases and then I would take a picture of them all on the ground and people would pick and pull and I would update the photo with what's available still. And so it was kind of done that way. And in, in these larger batches and they were selling out like within a day or two. And then I had this stress of, Oh no, I need to produce <clears throat> that same caliber again in 10 more. So it was the, the ability to sell them out quickly. And then my confidence was still building as an artist. This is say only, you know, a year in six months in um, as these prices really started to increase, but people saw consistency. So that's my biggest point of advice I guess I could give would be just stay consistent and flood your collectors with content. It doesn't have to be the best content. It just has to be constant and always. When they're on at three a.m. and can't sleep, and they see you're up painting, and oh wow! And then three months later, they see something. So it builds over time. And there's a lot of people behind the behind the uh, works that will never reach out. They won't like, comment, or share, or you know. So there's always people watching
0: that are gonna be more modest. The platform. So y- you use social media as a way of selling your art, yes. What platform? Yeah. Would you talk about that as far as like, do you use Instagram, Facebook? How do you utilize those tools? Because that's another struggle I hear a lot, especially new artists, they have that.
1: Yeah, definitely. Instagram would be my number one. That's where I get the most new customers. They can discover you. They can reach out kind of like you guys did. Or also just um, like I've had a few local businesses reach out to me they see my instagram or they see my name in like an ad or something that was posted in a magazine or like little they will little clip all the time of like local artists and about me so people are starting to find me in more organic ways locally but without that i could work in turkey and still be selling full-time on instagram and facebook I've been I've been granted the opportunity to travel the world and meet a lot of people from a lot of different cultures and and areas and just um, just geographically speaking, just all over the place. So I've had a natural interest since I started with just my organic friends group on Facebook. You know, the friends of friends and the word of mouth really kept that going strong, but then I started a website. So I have jessydoyle.com. I don't update that as frequently as I would like, because I'm producing so much. I, it's hard for me to know, okay, let's post these. Um,
0: right, right, right. You were working as security, right? And, and in Vegas, let's back up a little bit. You're working as security in Vegas. You decided, Hey, I'm, what am I going to do? You, are, I'm guessing you didn't just one day go, Hey, I'm done security. I'm going to be a full-time artist. There was probably a transition period where you had to build up and what was the point when you said, I can do this full time? Like how, how did that transpire?
1: Um, so at that time I was essentially finding out that Heather was pregnant. So we had our son that was, you know, a month or two into his growing process at that point. So she had just gotten pregnant. But at that point I got a commission to do 15 paintings for this big, um, this big mansion out in Vegas. And he paid me up front and we just worked with each other over the course of a few weeks. And I got all these paintings together, pieced them around his home. Um, He liked them. And at that moment, it was, uh, I had the cash in hand from a large group sale in in that fashion. And I also had a transitioning moment of now I was going to be a father. So there was like this nine month ticking time bomb. So I knew (laughs) it was kind of now or never. And I said, you know, I, I wasn't making good. I mean, it wasn't insane money working security. You're making like maybe 18, 19 bucks an hour, which was good for that time in, in age, you know, but sure. but not sustainable in the big picture. And so, you know, with that, it was, it was well, am I going to be stressed and be at work all day? Or am I going to be stressed and just work for myself? And this is where I really thank the Marine Corps for giving me this kind of grit and this drive in this, this kind of fuck it mentality um, in a positive fashion that allowed me to put everyone's opinions and bullshit aside. And I literally could just go in and I was painting for anywhere from eight to 12 hours a day. When I moved back to New York after the Marine Corps, Oh, I'm sorry. After Las Vegas, we moved back to New York before coming down to North Carolina. And in that one year time frame, I opened up a small gallery. It was called the Gallery Lounge. It was my studio with a little showing in the front, but I painted for 24 hours straight and I, I didn't eat or sleep. So I stayed up with just water and kombucha for 24 hours oh, wow. and and just taped the whole thing and just painted. I think I painted like 32 paintings or something like that. So it was this moment where I could just give it my all. So that whole year or that nine months following up to my son being born, I was just a production machine. And I think through that intensity, people started taking me serious. Not just, but something that they could invest in, not just a hobby or whatnot. So it, From there, I added in the business angle and took. I started taking myself serious. And from there, it all came full circle, for sure.
0: What about the people who would say, well, Jesse's just like, oh, he's a money whore. Like, I'm just painting painting for painting. If you're going to paint 30 paintings in 24 hours, how can that actually be any quality or any real depth to it or anything? Like, what's your response to something like that?
1: Yeah, that's when the conversation arises in that abstract mindset because there were also – three or four paintings that night that were not even close to being finished. It's just when you get into that right mindset, sometimes you have these pinnacle moments where everything aligns. I had tons of paint, tons of canvases, and I had tons of ideas floating in my head. From that moment, it might appear that they are random or maybe didn't take a long time to finish, but it that's also part of the act and part of the approach it's sometimes speed is necessary for a specific effect sure. and it's also just the same as like that one behind me here that was a single swoop of a paint can and it came out in a one in a million chance so beautiful that i had to run out of the room so i wouldn't mess it up so <laughs> that- so you wouldn't add to it and and Never. you know that's yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's just wild. So in those moments, cause it's my, ther- it's my therapy, it's my flow state, it's my active meditation. So I don't care what you have to say, whether it's positive or negative, because if it's pulling you from your center, there's a conversation to be had. And when that conversation arises, people start to appreciate the stuff that's even more minimal or more, uh, or quickly produced. Right. But I'm an artist. Right, sure. I'm the I'm the producer. You guys can make up all the noise and the words about me, but I'm the one just doing the thing. I'm, I'm in right. it, right in right. it. But with the abstract expression, as that style grew and as my scrape technique grew, I would put up five or six big canvases, use a ton of paint, use large materials, so I could do a four foot by five foot canvas in the same time as maybe a 18 by 24 inch canvas because I'm just adjusting material and time and, and, and um, tool sure, to sure. compensate. But it's still the same approach, whether it takes two minutes or it's a painting I've painted over five times. It's just because I got it right on that first time and not the 57th time doesn't make <laughs> that first valuable. If anything, it makes it more valuable
0: yeah yeah absolutely you know when i
1: do even if i do 15 paintings in a 24-hour period and they're loaded up i love every single one of them it still took the two thousand (laughs) paintings before get to these yeah so it's for me that's the natural refinement i i can i can give even through that like i know when i'm cutting myself short or cutting a corner or thinking I'm going to get a special effect with this or that, because it's going to sell. I, can, I catch myself as soon as I think I'm doing something for the monetary purpose. Like mm, That's good. But it's nice when that purpose and that final result embeds perfectly with my present moment. Sometimes I create something that's so organic to me and it sells before even dry. So I like wow. when I just like how they speak with the people
0: that are watching you know? Yeah yeah. 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 That makes me think of, uh, Michelangelo when he talked about the carving David, he's like, the sculpture is already inside the piece of marble. All I, all I do is bring it out. So in many ways, like it's already, yeah. it's already in your head. It's already not in your head, but it's already there. You're just sort of bringing it to the world, you know?
1: That's what I do when I'm, when I sit in front of a big blank canvas, I know what colors I'm going to pick from and kind I know that energy now. I know how to kind of correlate emotion to color and go within that therapy process. So when someone physically looks at it, they're going to receive hopefully that same vibration that I put into it. So it it is this kind of medicinal shamanistic type thing because it's, I'm just a mirror and you looking at that, at that painting, you're going to, the longer you stare and and start to observe it, it's going to start to communicate with you if it's something that pulls you. So it might take a month, but usually you'll get these comments a few weeks after someone hangs a painting in their home and they're like, this thing is just, it never changed or it's never the same. The light's always changing. The shadows are always, they might see it when they're happy, but then they might see it when they're pissed and be like, yeah, you know, like (laughs) I, but I'm, but I'm the portal for that. So whatever that may may mean.
0: Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, you spoke about med- medicinal we talked early on how you're working in security in the cannabis industry. I had to look it up because I didn't know, but I saw that weed is still illegal in North Carolina. Has that ever been a part of your artistic process? Uh,
1: so luckily enough, they have what's called Delta eight and Delta 10 THC. They're derived from the industrial hemp plant. So they are federal, federally legal, you can buy them at a smoke shop, little vaporizers. Um, they definitely help. But that's been my, that's been the, cause it's not a loophole, but it's, it's a newly discovered compound within the hemp plant, which is sure. legal. So it's a loophole in, in, in that regard. However, it's pretty dang close to the traditional Delta nine, which is what is illegal, so I can find ways around it. I know I, I like this Delta 10. It's very nice. It's an uplifting, creative uh, response. It allows me to enter that flow state a little easier. It allows me to shut off that frontal cortex and that processing. And it allows me to, uh, there's this state in, in Zen practice called being non-being. So mm-hmm. it's, it's that, that is the flow state. So you're obviously there doing that thing. But time and space dissolve around you and and through that dissolution, it has its own bodily effects. So I I know that I don't need a chemical to get me going. I can get into that state, but sometimes plants, this plant medicine, I mean, even a beer or two, just something to loosen up that frontal cortex and and to kind of to get me out of my analytical high end kind of hypervigilant thought process that I am in, in my day to day. So it can be used as a precursor. Like somebody would drink a pre-workout before the gym, same type of thing.
0: Sure. Um, sure. Well, you know, and I'm glad you talked about it. I'm glad you are open about it because I, you know, coming from Colorado, uh, like I grew up very anti, you know, I was sold the stories. And then when I moved to Colorado, even though we was illegal in Colorado, when I first moved there, it was prevalent. And I lived in Boulder for many years. And so I started to educate myself on it and then realized, you know, the bullshit stories that we've been told and I had seen it, especially in the artistic community, you know, and I've talked to many artists and I have some artist friends who are into psychedelics and who are use those in their artistic process. And, and then I, I, know I've mentioned this before on the podcast of thinking about musicians who I loved as a kid or who I grew up listening to one that comes to mind specifically is the Beatles. And there's all kinds of examples of artists that as a kid, you're like, oh, I love this music. And this is great. And then as an adult, you find out well, wow, they used to sit around the studio and smoke pot before they'd perform and, and write songs and create their music. And I think yeah. what you just spoke about is very, very important as a way of using it as a, as a tool, not a crutch. Using it as a way to help dispel some of the noise that we as our human self carry on with us. All the bullshit that we carry in our brain every day and the, thought the 65,000 yeah. thoughts that go through our head there's a reason why we have these receptors
1: in our body to begin with. We, we've been utilizing this plant for thousands and thousands of years. Yeah. Um, that's why we have the endocannabinoid system in our body. It's there, it's present. We just have to fill that void with the, with the cannabinoids. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, what's cool. is as science progresses, you're, you're just able to learn so much about these plants. So in Nevada, um, working at the source, you know, we, we saw 80 year old ladies come in with a walker after six months of using the proper THC oil or like a little tincture. Um, they'd be they'd come in after eating a burger, no walker, loose, flexible, in you know in good in good well-being, good health and, and just the reversal is insane. So from a purely medicinal purpose, there's nothing that compares, but then you couple in, you know, for the chronic pain, the anxieties and such. But then you couple in, yeah, this microdosing of psilocybin um, and other compounds. And you realize, oh, wait, now I don't need SSRIs. Now I don't need this. Now I don't need that. I think people, as they return back to their organic nature, because you're going to see this divide with technology and the organic human. It's already taking place with cell phones and tree huggers, right? You have this. this (laughs) and I hate it because I think I don't think Buddha had to deal with cell phones and Facebook. So I think it's it's a, it's a different approach now as a modern day human being able to keep a balance and everything we do can be a tool for that, you know, uh, progressive nature of whatever our goals are, whatever. If I'm an artist, I can use nature and technology to my benefit. Um, So when you return back, when, when you have that thought process and that return to nature, I think plant medicine is that original return to, I think the body craves it. And I think it's way more preventative and it will allow, you know, like my mom, for instance, and my dad, my dad was on New York state medical marijuana. And I mean, it's a shit program in New York. I hope now that it's Uh, legal, it's going to, you know, increase a little, it'll be a little bit more effective. It was overpriced and crap products before, but, but still it was helping his, his chronic pain. I mean, work construction for 40 years. So now you're getting these people, like you said, you grow up with this one idea and now they're seeing the true benefits and their psyche completely switches. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Marijuana is not a gateway drug. Psilocybin is not a gateway drug, but they have to be used for a purpose. They, they can't yeah. be they can't be exploited
0: yeah, yeah i agree with you 100 and and i think for far too long they were exploited and they were also sold as as what you just talked about as a gateway drug they were sold as this is something people just do to get stoned and sit around on the couch and eat doritos all day long and shit like that and um my i, I don't know if i've shared this in the podcast but my dog I extended his life by three years through cbd and thca yeah, he had he had cancer and uh uh, there was a point where the cancer almost disappeared, where the doctors couldn't couldn't locate it through hands-on examination, couldn't feel the cancer anymore, um, and it was all through using cannabis. That's so amazing. Yeah, and and my my thought with like my dog, it's completely anecdotal, you know, and it's completely like he doesn't know he's a dog, and he's just he took it because I told him to, and and it had such an effect on him, a positive effect on him. But uh, as we, so as we get deep, since we're getting deep, I got to say, man, you don't talk like a, like an artist who's only, who's real, still real young and green. You don't talk like a 30 year old. you you definitely talk like an old soul. You've been around this planet a few times, I think. So in getting deep, I want to ask you some deeper questions if I may. What is it that you really love about being an artist? And contrastly, what is it that you dislike about being an artist? I do like
1: the freedom of expression. So that freedom of expression, little did I know was that, that energy always kind of poking and pulling at me that, that something inside that I couldn't put words to this expression, that getting it outness is it. So for my art, that is it. And, what was the second part of that question?
0: <laughs> sure, what what is it that you don't like, or what is the what of the challenges that you have?
1: Oh, yeah. So I would say when you're producing a commission, a a collector will have an idea in mind, and what I definitely hate is when that freedom of expression is is uh, minimized and the requests and the, the odd things start rolling in around those commission processes. Instead of them seeing the final product and having that kind of sense of wonder behind it, I feel Mm -hmm. commissions can be a little a little dry. When I see a finished commission piece, some I love. Don't get me wrong; I love all the work that I I I'm not going to give it to you unless I love what I've done in its own way. But it's but I feel that commissions can be more dry because they're not so spontaneous. So a little control. So whenever I have to control my artwork and not let it flow, that's when I see that rigidity, and I, I start to not like them. <laughs> yeah.
0: uh, that's, a, that's a great answer, man. I um, I talked a little bit about psychedelic artists. Uh, I did an episode, I did an interview with um, a couple from Boulder, uh, Morgan Mandala and Randall Roberts. They're, they work in psychedelic art, and uh, Randall actually okay. got a commission with Disney to create a piece for um, – uh, Marvel movie, Doctor Strange that's what it was for. It's for Doctor Strange movie. He it was a commission piece from Disney, so he had this corporate overlord that he found it was the most difficult piece he said he ever made because of the restrictions that you know Disney put on. And uh, you know, at the end, he said the same thing you just did at the end, he still liked the piece, yeah. but he doesn't, it's not, he had to work in a way that is not his style. In that, you know, come back, they came back and they're like they wanted him to change things they want to do things differently. And he's like, that's not how I work, man. Like I create the piece, it comes from within and when it's it's out, it's out. And they wanted, you know, they had Disney so they had their own rules. And he found that just like you, he found that structure to be pretty constraining. And I, I guess I would say if that's the hardest thing about being an artist, that's pretty, that's not too bad. <laughs> Uh, that's well. That's exactly it. Right. So,
1: I mean, running the business side of things, the marketing, the advertising, the online presence can definitely be number two on that list. It does okay. feel feels pretty pulling if you have to pr- if you feel you need to provide this to X amount of people or this crowd or that crowd, it becomes more of a mandatory checklist than a. Um, a natural response to producing a nice piece of artwork and wanting to share it with people. So if you don't stay conscious, if, if this isn't your your process, if you're not a conscious you know being that walks around able to kind of mitigate those negatives and positives, it could definitely suck you in and draw the life from you. If you were stuck on your phone people-pleasing or just painting for the sake of a nice post online and not from within, like what you said, uh, Randall did, you know, it's that same thing when you cut off that, that communication line, the creativity just dries out. It's, it gets so stale. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know, I know Morgan Mandala. I follow her. I don't know her. I know her on Instagram and, uh, Randall Robert, same thing. Great people. I love their artwork and it's, it's, it, that's just it. You know, everybody has their unique process of expression and, and their view on the world and that's that's why i love the art community because no one's better or worse we're all just unique and different In sure in
0: that form yeah. yeah absolutely absolutely uh so one thing i always ask every interview and i get different answers every time but sometimes similar but they're always different and always unique so i'm going to ask you the same thing is why do you think we should care about art i think if you look back through the
1: years over history. You're going to notice art and architecture are some of the they're, they're some of the, the earliest and oldest ways that we've been able to track the human progression, the human process through a cave drawing moving up to the Sistine Chapel. I mean, just this progression of human capability. I think as the artist, even through my work that might be non-objective, like the abstract behind me, I think that these can still tell, these were all created in 2020. So I think that as we move further away from the creation of these arts, as time goes on, if they look back on these and what was going on, they're gonna start to notice these uh, political trends or these economical trends of the current environment. But that value or that, that explanation might come years later or years down the road at the time maybe they thought Picasso's tribalism style it was just it was disgusting but then you come years later and you realize his fascination with these different tribes around the world and this and that Um, so I think the value can be delivered and as an artist we're, we're the living artists of our time so people are always talking about the dead the dead artists, but what about the ones that are in it right now, truly trying to pass a message to this population of humans on the earth right now? I mean, through my art specifically, I want to stop them in their day. I want to be the little wedge in their bullshit going on, their 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 running mind, and I just want to give them a, a just a, a glimpse of what what a mindfulness type outlook on life can be you know attention to breath in the present moment through my art and creating it hopefully gives them that same meaning when they're viewing the artwork hopefully it stops them in their tracks for just a minute whether that's good or bad and through that at least a communication can then arise from that moment so the communication and the we need to we need to bring people back together i mean oneness i think is the only way that all humans on planet earth will be able to um, sustain and, and progress and move forward in our evolution. And I think art is a, is a good blow off valve for a lot of, a lot of the shit that we see in, in humanity, whether it's good or bad art can be that blow off or that, that, that remembrance
0: or that imprint of a specific thing, time or moment. Um, sure. Absolutely. And you talked about art throughout history and throughout how, how it's a reflection of, our climate, our political climate or our world climate. And I never, I, you know, it's, I, it's funny because I never really thought about it much in visual art, but it's so true. I think of it more as in, you know, in, in music and in, in modern times, we saw that I think its most, most obvious self was in the 60s and early 70s during Vietnam and Korea and Vietnam where w- there was all this protest music that was created to protest the war and to protest the political climate at the time, things like that. And we saw that as it it transitioned like in they talk about and you even said like we can look back at history and see when we're in it we don't necessarily see it but when we look back we can look at the 80s and go oh the music of the 80s was all fun because the 80s was all about good times and the decade of decadence and then the 90s grunge like everything sucks and things are going to shit even though they necessarily weren't it just felt that way and so the music was a reflection of that and i think other art forms too and like i said i hadn't really thought about paintings our visual art, but it'll be interesting to see, you know, 20 or 30 years from now, how we look back and go, wow, the, the, the teens in the 20s, look at the shit they did then. And, and what did that, how did that, was that reflection of the time? So.
1: I, well, I think that, I think that tangible physical art it is a separation from the digital touchless art. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there is, there is this sense of, genuine approach. I'm not saying digital art isn't amazing and spectacular. That's just attaining to that technological progression, not necessarily resorting back to an original painting with pigment made from a stone. You know, there are these really cool methods when you get into original painting, original oil painting. Um, these methods and approaches are just, them in themselves are like a tea ceremony. It's it, its, its sure. own process and practice so I think that it's it's original you know I think originality doesn't die because and there 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 is a sense of forward telling too I think um, some artists will claim to produce something and then a few weeks or months later something that, that a synchronicity arises where they go hold on I think this painting is calling that like they kind of coincide with each other so I think that whether we realize it or not now, as contrast and as more experience comes and goes for humans, they're going to then be able to look back and start pulling their own meaning. Like it took the 90s grunge to have that 80s good time, fellas. So it's sure, absolutely. It's, the contrast is what's needed to see the movement between. And, and that's just the energy, you know? So,
0: yeah, yeah, totally. Now, I know you've only been doing this for a couple of years as a professional, as a full-time artist, but I wanted to ask you, uh, because you had a great amount of success, you're doing well, you are succeeding as an artist and making a living as an artist, what piece of advice would you give to someone who's starting out, who feels like they're struggling and can't find their way, but knows like, hey, feels called to be an artist? What, what would you say? Yeah. So with me, it was
1: uh, once again, finding a process that is enjoyable and therapeutic and exhaust that go through if you had if I like the scraped method I laid out 25 50 pieces of paper and I did one single scrape on all 50 pieces of paper with a different color combination and I literally just went through and picked out three or four kept those color combinations got rid of the rest and just painted in that four five six color palette until I felt exhausted of that and bored from it. And through that, I was able to slowly find what I enjoyed doing. But I also was able to balance that with what people enjoy seeing. And coincidentally, what I enjoy seeing is what other people enjoy seeing most of the time. Um, There's some differences here and there. But the natural progression and having faith in yourself is, is the number one godsend. So if I could have had this early success without the imposter syndrome, I probably would have been much happier. I wouldn't have had so many returning negative thoughts on how this can't be real or because you're coming from the military. It's such a controlled environment. And now you're, (laughs) you're an artist with no walls. So you have to put up your own walls and start constructing your own foundation, but just have faith in yourself, have faith in your unique outlook and creativity and don't be necessarily worried about having a dead set style or way that you paint. Always be up for adjusting, moving, adding in a technique, getting rid of a technique, and then shut your brain off and just start doing. There has to be that moment of thinking, 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 talking to myself, talking to myself. There has to be that switch to now, this is quiet and now the body is moving. There has to be this this practice that comes with becoming an artist. I'm not just going to sit down and say, turtles are pretty. I like turtles and draw a turtle with the sole idea that I'm going to sell it to someone who likes the turtle. Just do the turtle because you like turtles. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's
0: great advice, man. That's great advice.
1: I also it's liked so what
0: you said about the, the, how you took that process of doing the brushstrokes with the colors and things. Going back to, to Randall, he talked about, uh, I may have asked him a similar question, but I, I remember he said like, create a hundred pieces, sit down and create a hundred pieces and then, then that's when you actually start making art at 101. you know you just have to keep doing it, keep refining your process, keep practicing. And I think like anything, you know you get better the more you, the more you do it and and your your technique changes, you refine your technique or you start adding new tools or new, new techniques in it. So I think I think that's a really important piece of advice to get is, is just get out and do it and create as much as you can. You talked a little bit about the imposter syndrome. How did you deal with that as far as going, okay, I, so for clarification, the imposter syndrome, I think we're talking about the same thing is when you think this work is really not that good. I'm, who, am I to, who am I to be calling myself an artist when people want to buy your art or whatever, where uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the, um, what is it called? The Dunning-Kruger graph is the idea that people are better than they say they are. And so they start out and they get really competent. They think they're really good. And then as they move, progress forward through time, they realize they suck. And then that's where you go into the imposter syndrome, like, well, I'm really not that good. And then, and then as time continues, you train and become better. And then you finally do actually become competent in your skill set. And it's um, so it's kind of like this, this, this uh, the graph itself is like this hard, this hard upswing. And then it quickly drops down to back to incompetence and then slowly over time builds back up.
1: That's exactly what I experienced <laughs> <laughs> because, uh, because now I'm two, and a half, I'm two and a half years in and I, I comfortably tell people that I'm steadfast in my ability now. I, I, tr- I can walk up to a blank wall and have confidence that something beautiful is on that other side and have faith in that. However, the in-between just has to be that openness, that, 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 that flow state again, that, that getting into it that letting go of everything else and returning your attention to the present moment. So the best value is always delivered when that attention is returned back to the present moment. And there's no worry about how much I've sold or what I'm going to, s- that all goes away. Those are the demons that started coming in as I became a, a, uh, a working full-time artist. And But I feel like as a true professional has to admit that they're, they're not a perfect in any means or regard. So it is having, once again, just the faith in yourself that, you know, yeah, I am having these negative thoughts, but I'm not going to let them inhibit my process. So staying true to my process and my meditation, my, my breathing and practicing what I preach kept me in line with myself. So naturally, whatever came out of that was hopefully of a positive, fa- you know, fashion. So it was, it, was, uh, it wasn't easy, but it,
0: it lasted about six months. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, I love that you had this realization of authenticity. And, and then you even just said it, like, even though you didn't use the word, like staying authentic to who you are. And I think that's important as well. And not trying to be who you aren't.
1: Ego attachment is something that I think every artist is going to struggle with, but if, if they can wrangle that beast and and keep it in its own cage and let it out when it's needed. Like if I'm going into a business meeting, you need to talk confidently and highly of yourself. You have to talk, you have to talk appropriately. That would be the ego coming forward and saying, kind of look at me, but refined through the eyes of a business pitch or something. If you're doing a mural project or whatever the sure. case may be, you got to put on, you have to put on that proper image. That's the ego stepping up and doing its role but then you have to then go back into your organic self, get rid of that, that ego mind and return back to that organic, that organic nature that, you know, you operate best in. I understand now the complexity of, of the living artist, of these stories of Francis Bacon and these crazies, you know, these, I get yeah. it. I get it. <laughs> um, well, now you're in it. So you get it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. So Just stay positive. That's the best we can do. Stay positive.
0: Oh, I like that. Stay just stay positive. That might be the the brilliant advice of this whole podcast. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean it's that simple. Keep it simple, you know. Feed that yeah. animal.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So we talked a little bit. You and I are on a video, and we talked a little bit about the pieces that you have hanging behind you. So I, I have I, every artist has a web page on on the Art Unknown podcast site, and I'll I'll put those images up there for people to see because I really want to. If you don't mind, I really want to show that. Early brushstroke, which was, or the the paint the paint pour, which is a super simple and very different from where your current style is, which is which is the the scraping style abstract and and I think that that's yeah it's it's gorgeous and I if I saw that if I saw that and the other piece together I would say oh that's two different artists because it's they're so contrasting.
1: This one I kind of call the teacher though because it it came out to such a beautiful finish. But this was one single glob out of a out of a wax paint can, and it uh, it landed so beautifully that I, I wasn't able to to do anything else with it. So I added a few outer exist you know existing kind of border lines and 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 called it a day with that one. But that one reminds me that it's about knowing when to pull the plug, when to finish the creation. That's sort of the the artistic approach too. It's Anyone can start a painting. It's knowing when to pull it at that appropriate moment that holds some resonance or holds something something deeper within it, kind of that secondary or third layer of meaning or or contemplation. You know, painting should stop you for a reason.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think that's so true. And I think it's so powerful that early on you recognize that, that you were like, I got to stop. Like, this is great Where how it is. I don't need to embellish it anymore. I don't need to do anything more to it. And, and, I, and I really appreciate that you use it as a reminder and you have that hanging in your home of like, I, I need to remember there's a time to stop and allow that to happen. And you know, like you said, you, you'll know when it's time to stop if, as you're painting, as you're creating. So I wanted to talk about people getting in touch with you. I had Googled you and Jesse Doyle, there's you're, unfortunately you're not the only Jesse Doyle in the world, but if someone Googles Jesse Doyle artist, man, you own Google. Everything's all about you from Instagram to Facebook to your website actually comes up first. And uh, even the images are all Jesse Doyle. You have a really cool black and white image of you doing some work. It's a little Paul-esque, Pollock esque So I love that. Yeah, it's very cool. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you if they want to contact you or they want to see your work?
1: Uh, Honestly, if you're on Instagram, Doyle 85 J E S S E D O Y L E 8 5. Uh, That's my main account. I post on my other, I have a backup account, Jesse Doyle abstract underscore abstracts um, on Instagram too. So they might come across both those pages. They are both me. But other than Instagram, you have Art by Doyle on Facebook. And you can also go to jessiedoyle.com, send me a message on any of those platforms. I check them daily. So I'm usually pretty good at a quick response. and if you see something you like or, or something that I've done and you want a different color palette, you want a different scheme or how you want to approach it, we can roll with that. So I like to pick and play with a few of my my pieces. If somebody browses and they like a few elements of a few different paintings, uh, we'll work on a way to to bring them together for that for that type of commission. So I do enjoy those commissions, the ones where I'm allowed to expand and grow on my capability and my, my approach and what I can do too. So,
0: but yeah, Instagram, Facebook, and uh, my website, send me an email message. You know and I got to say, just from a, from a personal standpoint, you were very responsive to my email. So I appreciate that, you know, and that's what brought us here together today. And if I may say this, I'm so excited, Jesse Doyle, your, your art is going to be added to the art unknown store I'm very excited to have you on the Art Unknown store and to have your artwork and display on our clothing and accessories. Cause I think it's really, I, I really, really like your, your work. It's totally rad. And I love seeing, looking back through how you have evolved as an artist. And we talked a little bit here about your, your abstractions as well as to change, changing. And I think that that's important for any artist to actually continue to grow. And sure, if you find a method that works for you, that you love, you can stick with that. But so many artists, like you stick with that for a period of time and you slowly transition over time to, to maybe something else. And, and so I can see that your work has definitely evolved, even, in, even in a few years that you've been working as an artist and it looks really great, man. So definitely keep it, it up. Yeah. I'm excited to have you on the store. Is there any last words or bits of advice or thoughts that you want to share with the, uh, with the podcast audience?
1: I think we just about covered it all. Just don't feel, you know, Don't feel obliged to reaching out, ask questions. Even if you just want to chat, anybody listening, just, you know, let's get into it. I love to talk art. I love to talk my process. And uh, you'll see on my Instagram page, I do move about within these three specific styles, You know, so there's something to be said about that, the ability to move between styles and not be so rigid within one. So even if you're an existing artist or just starting out, reach out and let's have that conversation and, you know, let's see what can come of it. So I love to collaborate and work with other artists too. So it's, yeah, just staying positive once again and let's keep going,
0: you know. Awesome, cool. Thank you so much, Jesse. I really appreciate your time talking art. Man, like I said earlier, I think you are definitely a much further along as a more evolved as a human being than just a 30 year old man. You you definitely got deep, which I really appreciate. And then thanks for being on the podcast.
1: Yeah. Thank you, man. Thank you for letting me go deep. You know, (laughs) you don't get that often.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's, that's true. That's very true. Very true. All right, brother. Take care. Thank you. Have a great day. The music for this episode of the podcast comes from the American reggae dub sensation Stick Figure. It's off their latest release, World on Fire, and this little ditty is called Once in a Lifetime. Check out Stick Figure everywhere you listen to your music. We are super pleased to welcome the work of Jesse Doyle to the Art Unknown store. Now that the podcast is over, head on over to the Art Unknown store for all the latest in active wear and accessories from Art Unknown podcast artist Jesse Doyle's collection is online and ready for you. And special bonus, as always, podcast listeners get 10% off every purchase. Just use the discount code AUPODCAST10 when you check out. Once again, that's ArtUnknownStore.com. Thank you for enjoying the Art Unknown podcast. I am Jim Wills, your host and producer, and I am super grateful for each and every one of you who listen. Until next time, remember to take care of one another, and as always, feed your soul with art.